0: Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as WhedonCon. WhedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at whedoncon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we're welcoming independent filmmaker Tanya Atomic, one of the creative minds behind *Monos Returns. Let's get started.
1: On mic today, we have Tanya Atomic. How are you doing this afternoon?
2: Hi, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks I am so me.
1: glad to have you here. I'm um, glad
2: to be here. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I've been following you for a while. I love a lot of what you do. I... I You've got a makeup video uh, section on YouTube. You are the director of Manos Returns. Um, I just saw that a couple days ago, so I guess I should start there. Um, it's kind of a weird because I'm not really much of a horror person as a whole, but stuff like what you did really digs with me. So. Um.
2: <laughs> oh, cool. <clears throat> Thanks. I'm so glad you liked it. I mean, it was it was written by me, Rachel Jackson, and Jackie Naiman-Jones. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was really a a cooperative. I mean, it really, the whole thing was a collaborative effort. Um, all the actors and all the crew, um, our other producer, Joe Sherlock, they all put a lot into it. I mean, it, everybody came at it a, with a labor of love sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. So, and we didn't have a whole lot of money, um but everybody put so much into it that we were able to get you know what we got with it and i think for what we had to work with we did a really good job i think everybody did such a great job and i couldn't like i i i am happy with my contribution of course but it really is a collaborative film
1: sure and and i wouldn't second guess that uh but do you think that maybe not having a lot of money and not having a lot of resources is just in spirit with the project?
2: Oh, completely, yeah, uh, we were actually you know pretty happy with that and the and some of the little like there are some little things that we consider like mistakes
3: mm-hmm. that
2: we kept in the film on purpose, not to be cheeky at all. I know some people you know i've I've had some feedback where some people think that we're not trying to be cheeky we
3: mm-hmm.
2: but we kept it in because. We felt like it was mono I mm-hmm. mean, we that was our whole thing. We really wanted to make sure that um, <clears throat> the film was as as see <laughs> That was kind of our term. As mono as it can be. And so anything that just felt right, it felt like it was in the spirit, we kept in there and we put in there. So, um, So yeah, we're not trying to be snarky. We're trying to fit with the spirit of the original film, so...
1: I think you did that very well. And I'm immediately seeing I want hashtag mono see on a t-shirt somewhere.
2: <laughs> but yeah, definitely the low the low budget um and the, the low budget constraints, um, we felt like fit with that. And we we and we're all kind, you know, like Joe and I are both no budget filmmakers. I mean, mm-hmm. to be honest, we just make what we can out of nothing a lot of times. And um we did feel like the low budget aspect was going to fit with the theme and um yeah we just went with it we just went with it as far as like what we could do what things didn't quite work anything that that felt right if we had had like these big sweeping dolly shots and crane shots and stuff I feel like it just wouldn't wouldn't have worked and I think big name stars you know that kind of thing I just feel like all that stuff would have kept it from being as monosey as it could have been so yeah
1: and and (laughs) when I first heard about it not knowing anything about who was involved or why it was being made that was kind of my first reaction is that it was going to be a polished studio production and I was just a very negative response I had to that (laughs) which I think is why I didn't watch it for the longest time because until I got to know your other work and realized Jackie was involved as, and I saw some screenshots, and it's like, okay, no, this is this is going in the same tone.
2: Yeah, I've I've seen responses online. You know, where people are like, I can't believe Hollywood's trying to do this. It's like, I guess I could see that knee jerk reaction. Like, if I had seen, oh, there's going to be a mono sequel, I might have, you know, been skeptical. But when I see that, it's like, oh no no no, <laughs> we're just we're just scrappy, no budget guys trying to you know make a sequel and and we definitely were trying to make it technically well Mm -hmm. because that was important to us to make something technically well something interesting with the plot I'm going to take a liberty here and say with the plot that you can follow Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not not sure that's always the case with Monos returns but um but you know there were things that we definitely wanted to change but yeah really the spirit and the tone we didn't want to go glossy with it at all.
1: Uh, when I had Jackie on the show many moons ago now, uh, one of the things that I was desperate to talk to her about was the fact that Monos was the first, not really the first, but it was the first really good example of an independent film way before it was cool. So it's great to see it come full circle with people like yourself who know what independent filmmaking is about and know how to do what you did uh, and to put it in those capable hands and yet still come out with a product that's fun.
2: Yeah, that's what we were going for, for sure. Um, something fun, something that has that low-budget aesthetic, but something, you know, where the audio is all clear, where, mm-hmm. um, you know, it visually cuts together. There's no jump cuts, that kind of thing. And just because we felt like, I mean, with the first movie, it wasn't trying to do that. <laughs> they were trying to make the best movie they could. And so, you know, we thought that was our responsibility to to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And not trying to pretend. You know, Mm -hmm. we want, we felt like we had to be sincere when making it because that was also mono mono that was in the spirit.
3: (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. And in both movies, there is a genuine creepiness to it. There are things that both movies genuinely do well, despite all their handicaps and the creepiness in both Mm -hmm. is, is spot on.
2: That, that makes me so happy. We were really trying to do that. Um. What we were trying to do—you probably noticed this while watching—but what we are trying to do was start out with a kind of a lighter tone,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: kind of, kind of, um, not reference, but but definitely acknowledge the fact that like there's some humor in the fir- you know, with there's people that are fans of the the humor aspect of the Mister Science Theater version and that kind of thing, and we were trying to not ignore that. Mm-hmm. Um, We're trying to acknowledge that but have it feel like it was real world like have it feel natural where it's just the characters being jokey with each other um and we wanted to start out with a lighter tone um which i feel like the original movie did too they start out with the the family happy on vacation a little bit lighter tone and then as the movie progresses it gets darker and darker and that's um, what we were trying to do and um you know we added some of the soul because we felt like you know there's a big gap between films so we added some things that we thought things would happen um, over time so we added some souls trapped in the lodge kind of thing um we had you know lighting change we had the story get darker and all these things we were really hoping to actually get creepy eerie um because we felt like the i mean the first film does that there's there's an eerie element, even though even though there, there are technical issues, there is an eerie element to the film. And we definitely felt like we had to have that in ours, and we were really hoping to deliver with that.
1: You know, there's a, uh, I'm going to use a word that most people would not want me to associate with anything mono but I would actually say it's almost Hitchcockian in that all most of Alfred's movies started off with something really good happening. Somebody got a new job. Somebody's going on a vacation. Somebody just had a baby. Some, some Something really good just happened to set off
2: oh. the terrible
1: events that follow. Okay. And in both
2: cases, that's what happened with the Mono series. Interesting. I never um, put that together, but I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It does create a good juxtaposition, which that's not exactly what we were – we were going for the juxtaposition. We were more going for um, having a having a journey, you know, mm-hmm. starting somewhere and, and going on a journey. But yeah, I see that it does make the the difference more more noticeable. Mm-hmm.
1: And if if we look at like okay, like I said before, I'm not really a horror guy per se. There's a couple things I've gotten into, but one thing I've noticed is that you, you get these long horror series, and the first one is pretty scary. And the next one takes it up a notch, and then, like following the third or fourth movie, they almost become parodies of themselves.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You agree? It's like I almost noticed if this Manos became a series that you're following that pattern. It's like we have the first movie, and it it's, it inspires so much, and then the next one, yours, adds to it, and then it takes it in this weird direction all of its own.
2: Yeah, I think you know. I, 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 on set, I would joke that you know, next we were gonna do the, the next sequel, Modest Returns*, returns. <laughs> that was more my joke on set. But you know, <clears throat> um, I mean, we have thought about that, but I think we were all got. We worked so hard on this one, and we're still working, you know, to get the film out there. But you know, if it, if there were to be more sequels, I think, I mean, it could just go so many places now. Mm-hmm. That who knows? I mean, it could it could yeah it could like there could be like a Clara um side story or there you know yeah It could just go so many places that it could kind of fall apart or Mm -hmm. be too much or get too big Mm -hmm. um you know we tried to keep ours we tried to make ours a little bit bigger than the first but not too big so it Mm -hmm. could be more a simple story still and I think that's why it works so well um and once you kind of go out of that world you have you do have the danger of everything falling apart and getting hammy um I don't know I don't know where this one could go I mean yeah I could see that the world getting too big trying to explain too many things getting hammy or focusing on you know like a single side story or something and it could still come off pretty good I don't Mm -hmm. I don't know I'm sure
1: you could come up with stuff but uh (laughs) Not to give away spoilers, because I don't do that here, but in both cases, everything takes place at a, a place called Valley Lodge, which I'm guessing is a lodge in a valley. That Even that's not really explained, but I'm going to go out on a limb there. <laughs> and nothing – you're not aware of anything that takes place outside of that valley. That, that valley is its own world that's cut off from everything deliberately. So whatever happens in that little bubble, you, you could write your own rules for that. It doesn't have to match – any continuity anywhere else in the world
2: right yeah i i was looking at it on you know when we were writing it on set i was i would say oh it's kind of like evil narnia which we, we even referenced narnia a couple yeah. times because <laughs> it just cut you step through you're not expecting and you're like somewhere else it's not really mm-hmm. in our world and i was thinking kind of like evil brigadoon as well because it um i feel like it pops up and we even had it you know pop up in a little bit different location a little looks a little bit different because mm-hmm. it has evolved um and we wanted to do that too we wanted to make it a little larger it's been so many years um it's evolved it's changed and it's it's supernatural and yeah mm-hmm. and you're exactly right it has rules that don't apply to anywhere else and um and we hint at that i think several mm-hmm. times and including at the end um it sort of touches the outskirts of its um, perimeters a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's definitely not in our normal world. It is a supernatural place that doesn't typically exist. So, so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think that's one of the creepy things about it, about Mm the original too um, is, and then you don't, you know, the, the, Normal people, <laughs> normal travelers, they don't get it. They don't know the rules. They don't know what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. that's what adds to the to the eeriness of it, creepiness.
1: I, I, one thing that really paid off for me in a creepy way was that, you know, I've seen the original six trillion times over. And I came to my own theories as to how things worked and who did what and what happened to all these people afterward. And I'll, enough of those things ended up playing out in the re- – Mano's returns that it's like, oh, apparently I'm not the only pe- person that saw things this way.
2: Interesting. And, yeah, there, like there were what, things that were. T- what things? I'm really curious.
1: Well, like, okay, well, I, I'll give, like, at the end when Debbie becomes one of the ladies there, like, that is that is one of the w- best twists of it is that, you know, in that time when everything had to have a happy ending, it's like, no, he, she becomes one of the child brides. Mm hmm. And that's that's like, then she becomes this figure in the next movie. She's not saved. She's not redeemed. They just add to the disease of the idea. And that's fantastic to me. Um, I like the idea that this is just this eternal place, and Manos is some sort of elder god figure, elder deity figure with some cult following. I the spiritual part of me really wanted to see something specific about what the, that cult believed and but that might have gotten a little too off into the weeds for a lot of people. It was something that was appealing to me personally.
2: Yeah, we kept it vague on purpose. I mean, we sort of had ideas, mm-hmm. but we kept it vague on purpose because, um, I mean, it just didn't fit in our story you sure. know, as much, so we just wanted to hint at it a little bit.
1: And, I mean, I... I like the idea that I always interpreted Torgo as being somebody who wandered onto there many, many moons ago by accident and just got stuck there and, you know, thought Michael would just become the new Torgo. Um, so I, I think, I'm, I didn't know if Torgo and Michael were supposed to be the same person or not. Well, actually not because he, he still had his hand missing. I forgot about that.
2: Yeah, we um, we just felt like you know, we felt like Torgo was a necessary part mm-hmm. of, of the whole Monos mythology. And also, we felt like, you know, because Hal Warren had passed away, you know, we felt like it wasn't really fair to have a Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just didn't feel right, you know, to have him in there. And um, <clears throat> that was something I didn't feel like taking liberty with that character.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: um, you know, and we have our own ideas about mm-hmm. how, you know, we have ideas of how people get stuck there and how people might be able to leave there and, and that kind of thing. And because some people actually get out, but not many. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to show that, too. So, um, <clears throat> so and also at the, at the end of um, the original film, we don't know what happens to Torgo because he runs away right. with his hand on fire. And, or his stump on fire. <laughs> and, um, and I just honestly felt like he um, is probably a lost soul. That, I mm-hmm. like, where's he going to go? Like, is he going to be able to get away? I don't feel like he can. I don't feel like that's something that he could have done. And so um, we had it like, you know, he, he comes back. He's stuck there. He's, like, not dead in the way you know it type of type of thing. And mm-hmm. um yeah, it just felt right to have him be stuck there with the other souls as well.
1: I'm not in the business of second guessing creators. So I, I think that everything you're talking about was a home run. It works for the purpose of the movie. And like you said, we we can all have our own ideas about details here and there.
2: Yeah, I I feel like for me, part of the eeriness of the whole mythology um, is the unknown and mm-hmm. the unknowing. And it and, and it's a little unsettling. And that was something important to us. We didn't want to answer all the questions. Um, even though I might feel like I know the answer in order to, to create the backstory, I didn't want to make those answers that were my own answers the audience's answers. Mm-hmm. And they're also different. You know, like Rachel... And Jackie and I had a little bit of differences of opinions as well as what might have happened or what some of the backstory is. And um, we each have our own take and our own feel. But the importance is that, you know, it's there. We have Mm -hmm. our own, like, assumptions. And then we um, created this world that still has mystery. And that was really important. It's not not because we you know, wanted to leave things open-ended or be weird or, you know, any of that, it's that it was important to have the mystery, because I think that added to the, the eeriness, you know, the fear of the unknown, and so I think it is, there's some questions open to interpretation on purpose, and I think that that, you know, is what worked in the original, because I think the original, I mean, you know, we can all agree there's lots of technical issues with it, but there is a thing about it that grips people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certain people are interested in, and even if you know, there's parts that are dull or parts that are laughable. There's something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It has something, and I think some of that is um, the mystery, and some of it is the the actors and the, the characters and visuals. But definitely, some of it is the the eeriness of this of what the story could be. Like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, what is actually going on behind this? And I think that piques people's curiosity and adds to the, the eerie element. And we didn't want to destroy that. We thought it was really yeah. important to keep that mystery in ours.
1: Well, it's also worth mentioning that in the late 60s, when or mid-60s, I forget the exact year, when Manos was made, to take a cross-country trip and then get stranded somewhere was not a small situation to find yourself in it was in many ways a life-threatening situation because you, there was no cell phone there was and if you were in lost in west texas where it took place it was like you you were more than a day's walk from anywhere if you were in in a bad situation so that that fed on people's primal fear in some way that road trips were a much bigger issue and you kind of dealt with that by saying they lost their cell phone signal and the map wasn't working. And, you know, you got around the issues where it's like, okay, you, you put the modern audience into that mindset, but somebody sitting down in that theater when it was first released would have been like, Oh, okay. They're, they they, immediately know these people are in danger.
2: The, the funny thing is with the whole cell phone service issue is that that's actually true of the area we were in. <clears throat> Um, once you get down in, cause it's in Oregon where there's it's a small town
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, once you get down in there, it's really, um, there's a lot of um, like foresty area and a lot of, um, you know, like farmland and stuff and, there, and you lose service. And if you are out there and there's small roads and there's not a lot of traffic and, and it's the same kind of thing. I feel like that doesn't resonate as much with modern audiences, like how you were saying. Um, But it is a reality of being out there and we, and we wanted to um, use that to to put the travelers like in the peril that may have been, because I think, I think people nowadays are are very used to relying on conveniences and Mm. might not know what to do. You know, if your phone goes out. Um, you don't even you wouldn't even think to know what to do because those are things you just would look up or call someone. So,
1: I'm curious though um, to get away from Manos specifically and just the the people you're working with. What's it like to be in a creative session with them? Because I, I follow you all online and it's like I can see how your minds individually work. What's it like when you all get around a table with a pad of paper?
2: Well. Um, when specifically when when Jackie and Rachel and I were writing Monos Returns I'm actually surprised at how easy it it was I mean it was surprisingly easy but I think it was I mean it just sort of like everything kind of fell in place I I know like we, we mentioned this before Jackie mentions this a lot in interviews but when we were making Monaster Returns, a lot of things eerily fell into place and were easier than they they should have been. I mean, did we have um, little pitfalls and things that were stressed out? Yes. I mean, I want to say that most of us cried at least once (laughs) while making the film. But, um, you know, just because of due to stressors and things. But but there were things that, that eerily fell into place and were just so easy. And there were all sorts of, strange things like like a lot of people knew each other in weird ways a lot of the cast and crew knew each other in weird ways from before that didn't realize and really strange but um as far as the writing process we we were using a shared document and um Jackie took on the role of writing the dialogue for the lodge so she wrote her dad's dialogue she wrote her own dialogue she wrote um, Maggie's dialogue, so she did a lot of that stuff, be- and we felt like that was right because she had the connection to the original movie, and also her dad wrote his own dialogue for the original film, um, because I, apparently there wasn't, there was like directions written down, but there weren't wasn't a lot of words, not a lot of dialogue, so he wrote a lot of his own dialogue. Um, so Jackie had such a connection to that, and we thought it was right for her to, to continue that and and... Write that stuff. And then Rachel and I just took turns writing the other stuff, everything else. And so we kind of took, you know, a third of the film each. And one of us would just write and then come to a spot where we couldn't write anymore. And then the other two would come in, check it out, see what they wanted to change, see what they wanted to add, continue on. And then if there was anything, you know, lodge stuff, Jackie would insert her stuff there. And then we would just, and then you'd come back to it, you know, like, let's say I wrote a chunk, I would leave it for them to look at and add their stuff. And then I would come back to it with their stuff in it, the new stuff, and that would allow me to move on with that. So there was never a time where I got stuck and couldn't, couldn't go forward because if I got stuck, I would pass it on. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got it back, then it would, you know, get some gears moving and I would have something to, to you know, have some meat to the thing that I could actually start chewing on kind of thing. So it worked out really, really well that way. And it kept the process going fairly fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never had a moment where, you know, we, we disagreed. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so crazy, but we never had a moment where we disagreed on anything or fought in any way. Um it was just really easy to have a back and forth like that. And I've never really had an experience like that. I've written with other people before and had really great experiences. But this it almost seemed effortless um, working with them in this way. Fantastic. So
1: why in general do you like making films? What got you into the industry?
2: Well, I've always had a love of... Like, ever since I was really little, I've had a love of, like, TV, movies, music, stuff like that. Um, I watched a lot of TV when I was little, and my my dad would take us to movies all the time. Like, when I was really little, I probably saw movies that I was too young to see. Like, like I remember seeing Conan, the Conan movies, in the theater when I was, like, so little. I don't even know how old I was, but I wasn't even going to school yet, and... um and actually, there's a funny story that I tell because there's a part, I think it was the second Conan movie, there's a part where, like, he chops someone's head off <laughs> and it goes flying through the air. And I was shocked that my dad would take me to something like that,
3: mm-hmm. so little.
2: So I turned to my dad and I, and I go, Dad, he just chopped someone's head off and it went flying through the air. And my whole thing was I was scolding my dad mm-hmm. for taking me to that movie. And then and he thought it was the funniest thing. He just laughed. <laughs> he laughed at me, which I think is really cute now, you know, but at the time I didn't get it because I was trying to scold him and he wasn't taking me seriously. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, my dad was like an avid. He loved film. He loved, he loved all kinds of film. Like my mom loved like epic stories and, and um, things based on true stories, those kind of things. Um, Like, I remember, I remember she watched Roots and I watched Over Her Shoulder mm-hmm. when that was on TV. And um, I just have all these memories of that kind of thing. You know, my my parents were interested. My dad was a photographer as well. Um, my mom was a dancer and they both loved to sing. So that was kind of in my family. And I was familiar with seeing movies. And it was like just something that always interested me. Like, I had my little TV schedule when I was little, like this is like before I went to school, I had my TV schedule, I had to see the Incredible Hulk, I had to watch Wonder Woman, you know, I had a um, Battlestar Galactica, and um, Buck Rogers was my favorite, when I was real, real tiny. And I had my schedule and I had to watch my shows at certain mm-hmm. times. And this is like, I'm talking like I was maybe, maybe two or three or something like that. I was really little. Um, but, yeah, I was very into, <laughs> into my shows. And um, when I got older, I thought I wanted to be involved some way. Um, I didn't know that I could write. Um, I, I never tried. I mean, I wrote, um, like, in school, I wrote essays and stories and things, but I didn't know I could write for, like, television or film for, like, visual medium. Um, so I thought, well, do I want to be an actress? I, I'm I'm pretty hammy. Like I really like performing, um, and so I do get nervous. Like I'm a like I'm shy on the inside kind of person. <laughs> like people are. I, if I tell people I'm shy, they're like, no way, you're not shy. I've never seen you act like that. But I'm like a shy on the inside kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also very friendly, so it doesn't quite translate because I do like talking to people, like meeting people. Um, but I am shy on the inside. Uh, so I thought, well, I want to, you know, do some performing, but I don't know kind of thing. And then I, um, I took a film class. I actually took a film program. It was super intensive and I didn't realize what it was going to be when I started it. The two-year program at the community community college in Seattle. And, um, I went into the program thinking, you know, I've always been interested in, in like film and stuff. And I tried, I tried once to do like a little project before that, um, but I didn't know how to do it. So there's like jump cuts in it and all all kinds of stuff. And um, it didn't come out very, very good. (laughs) But but I did attempt to do, you know, that kind of stuff or like music videos. I would do that with friends when I was younger. Um, But I got into the film program and it was very, very intensive. And I ended up loving it. You know, there were times where I would get up, I would go to the school the minute the lab was open, and I would just stay in there working until I got kicked out. And so so nine to nine were the hours. And I would do that, you know, several days in a row because I, I wanted, because I just got hooked. I was just obsessed. <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, finish my project. I wanted to work on stuff. I wanted to edit things. And I realized, um, you know, I dabbled in kind of like VHS to VHS editing stuff when I was younger mm-hmm. and things like that. And I kind of realized, oh, I always had a thing for this kind of thing. I just didn't know it. Um, and so when I got into that program, I was like, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I'm into. And, and um, you know, we learned all kinds of stuff. We learned um in camera editing, we learned linear and non-linear editing. We learned audio production. We learned um, scheduling, like just all kinds of things. Um, we had acting classes. We had directing classes, and I, I excelled in the program. I ended up directing the class project and doing my own film um, at the end of the the pro- at the end of the program. I did my own film, which I received a grant for, and. Um, that was how I knew. Like, I, I really knew because I, it was the only thing in my life that I was ever so obsessed with that I put everything aside to do. And since then, I've just been hooked on it. And it's, it's kind of crazy. It's like, there's a feeling I get when I'm when I'm on set that I get hooked on. And it feels almost like an addiction. Like when I when I'm away from set for a long time, I get I get antsy, like I miss it, um, and when I'm on set, I feel like I'm home, <laughs> like this is this is where I'm supposed to be, and then I, I work, 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 I forget to eat, I forget to drink water, um, just work, 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 I get so obsessed with it, so into it, and um, never had that feeling before, like I love music, and I and I and that's something I can do on my own, is play music and create music, And that's the only other thing I've ever felt like that way about where it's like, it's not just something I enjoy. It's like this need, I have to be doing this or I'm not, uh, I'm not like myself. I don't know. It's a, it's an obsession, I guess. Anyway, long, long answer. (laughs) No, no. I think it's interesting that you
1: started off that by talking about being shy because I found that a lot of people who are creative will often claim that and, and they find that, whatever path they take is something that gives them the building blocks to express what they want to say to the world, but maybe don't feel comfortable talking about it in terms that people do on a regular basis.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. I, for me, maybe music is a way to express myself that maybe I didn't feel like I could normally like, Mm -hmm. um, writing songs and stuff. Definitely. I feel like that when I was younger, um, For me, like film is not just a way to express myself, but it's also a way that I've gained Mm -hmm. self-confidence and not because like, oh, look at this good project I made everybody look at this. It's not like that at all. It's just like the fact that um, I'm creating it and I can actually follow through and I'm enjoying what I do and it just gives me um, self-confidence just to be myself. Um, and I think, I think that's important because I think before that I was afraid to ask for things I wanted. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, I was also young, like this is when I was in college. Um, but once I, when I was in the film program, it was finally important enough for me to ask for things because I wanted it that badly. Um, Like when I went for the to direct the class project, that was a big turning point for me because I really wanted it. I wanted to direct the class project. And I've never felt that that way before where it's like I want something so bad that I'm going to put myself out there and actually ask for it, even though I may not get it. And it was that important. And, And then I got it. And from then it was like I was able to kind of grow as a person and realize like, what are things I, I should ask for because it's something I want or it's important to me, and what are things I should pass on to someone else, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so definitely I I felt I did grow as a person because I understood myself and the things that I cared about, um, and and how to ask for what I want when it's important.
1: And because you were willing to put yourself out there and move beyond your comfort zone, you managed to create something. And how much of that was giving back to people at your audience at large, where it's like you, you make connections with people who enjoy your work or create new fandoms or connect with people who also like similar types of art.
2: Um, well, I think, I mean, I've definitely made things that people have enjoyed. Um, I, did, I did a couple other features I made, Walking to Linus and Plain Devil, and they both got accepted into a lot of um, festivals, local mm-hmm. festivals, and people really enjoyed those. And that all, it always makes me really happy. Um, the thing that really means a lot to me, though, is with Monaster Turns, um, just... In the way that we didn't, we kind of wanted to write, write it. So it's sort of natural. I know, I know, some, I know there's some people that don't connect with the travelers like snarky jokes with each other, but mm-hmm. we, but we know people like that. Yes, we do. Know. <laughs> And we want it to be kind of natural. I mean, they don't mean it in a, like, they really are friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted that to be important. They don't mean it in a mean way. They're just, mm-hmm. that's just their way of connecting. Um, and I've I've had people respond saying, um, you know, I, you know, there's characters in there that aren't your typical standard character, and they feel seen because of our characters. Like, um, somebody responded, and I don't even remember where, but this really touched me because um, Pat's character is a lesbian,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but and we wanted that to be part of her character, but we didn't want that to be a big deal right um so we mentioned it like once it's not like it just is Mm -hmm. and someone had remarked on that they said oh there's a lesbian character in it but that's not like part of the plot it just that's her thing and they don't make a big deal about it and i'm a lesbian too and i feel really accepted Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and that meant a lot to me because i feel like that's really important you know i'm I'm the kind of person, I feel like we all need to work together, we all need to get along, you know, I love everybody, that kind of thing, like, loves the answer, that kind of thing, and um, it's important for people to feel seen, it's important for people to feel accepted in society when they are reflected in media, I think, Mm -hmm. and that meant a lot to me when I saw that comment, and I've heard people say that again, too, like, like with the brides. You know, you, you've got different sized brides and I feel really comfortable with that and that kind of thing. And, and, um, and it just makes me happy, you know, that people feel there's an acceptance in our film. Cause there is, mm-hmm. you know, we, we definitely, everybody who made it, we all became really good friends. We wanted to make it, even though it's this supernatural film with the dark tone, <laughs> we wanted to have a positivity in it mm-hmm. for like hu- humanity, like in general. And just to know that people are feeling comfortable in their own skin and accepted because of something small that we put in the film—it means a lot to me. And um, you know, I'm so I'm so happy and I'm so grateful. And I think because this film has a, a potential for a wider audience, and I and I see it now, a lot of people have been seeing it now that it's um, on some streaming sites. Um, it just it just makes me happy. I mean, I really really hope that more you know. I mean, that's enough. Just those two comments is enough to like, make my day. But I really hope that a lot of people also feel that.
1: I think I would be irresponsible if I didn't chime in on that last point you made there because that was something that stuck out about with me about the movie, too. And if somebody's going to dismiss it as a, a little silly little independent movie and yeah, you know, blah, 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 intentionally picks off a bad movie, yeah, but that was one really strong point of the writing as far as I'm concerned is that the lesbian character is acknowledged as being a lesbian, but it's not central to the plot. And I really think that that's that's the next step in writing those types of characters. It's just finding a way to incorporate their identity into the story without making it central to the story. And and I think that that's something that um, when people say, and people don't tend to say this very well, but they will say, these issues are being shoved down our throats i i don't want to pretend i know what they're thinking when they say that cuz it sounds very hateful but what i think is often being observed is a lot of people are writing these things very clumsily they're mm. they're making the assumption that you know mm. if you're gay that's your everything out of your mouth is gay everything you do is gay everything you wear is gay and everybody i know who is gay doesn't act like that that's not who they are. So you write those characters and it doesn't feel real. You write a character the way you did, where it's just like, oh, this is just a part of they are, who they are, like their height and their eye color and what they ate for breakfast. Then it becomes natural. Then it becomes right. And I'm hoping more movies work in that model than what we've seen in the past.
2: Yeah, I, I totally know what you're saying. and I feel like there there's sometimes a tendency for writers to be like, I really want this idea to come across mm-hmm. and, and so instead of it being it's a hard it's hard to write it like natural sure sure um and but that was important to, for us i mean basically what we did was we wrote a backstory for each mm-hmm. of the characters because we thought that was important you know with clara you know she's come through a tragedy we have that we know what it was there's mm-hmm. this whole backstory she know she knew what it was
3: mm-hmm.
2: um there's this whole backstory for clara and for each of them, you know, for Pat, for Jay, for Nikki, they all have this backstory that we created before. And that was part of Pat's. And we were like, well, let's include that in the film, in our in the script, and have it be natural. And and so we just included a little part between Jay and Pat. Because Jay and Pat are the, the closest.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, they have a close relationship. And um, so we have them go off by themselves and have the the dialogue and and I ended up shooting them where you see both of them in the same shot um, for majority of the time um, to show that that their relationship. So yeah, we we did have it in the backstory. It wasn't something we were like we have to have a gay character, but it was part of her backstory mm-hmm. and we thought it was very important to have that you know peek in there but also not be a big deal. Right.
1: And, you know, when you're friends with somebody, it's not a big deal. It's not, you know, you don't mention every time you meet, you know, oh, hey, Fred, my gay friend. You don't you do not do that. That's not yeah, real.
3: Right. And,
1: and, and when you write it the way you did, where you can kind of, as the, the scenes go on and as the minutes tick by, you're like, oh, that character was hurt. That character has a mental problem. When, when it's not fed to you on a silver platter, and you have to take that journey through the story, that becomes rewarding for the viewer.
2: Yeah, that, that was another thing. We didn't want to hold anybody's hand or force any kind of thing. And, you know, there was a little bit of unsurety, like, are people going to understand what we're trying to say? And we thought, you know what, we hope so. And if not, it just adds to the mystery of the story. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just let it be. And we didn't, mm-hmm. and we thought it's better to under explain than over explain. And based on, there's been a few feedback from people where they were, they can tell me all the different points, you know, the things that we were trying to come across. And so I felt like, oh, wow, we did, we did do the right thing. I would agree. Um, because, because over explaining, I think kind of ruins the, story mm-hmm. when you do that and um if people don't get it they don't get it but the people that will get it if you have to overexplain explain it it's not going to feel um organic to them it's going to feel heavy-handed and then they're not going to be able to enjoy it and that and i and that's not what we wanted
1: agreed well tanya i know that you've got a lot going on and i don't want to keep you too long because i really appreciate you being here um, but I'd like to let you go and maybe get a chance to meet up again pretty soon okay sounds um,
2: great
1: where can people keep tabs on Monos and you and, and all your adventures on the internet
2: um, well we have Monos Returns has a Twitter and Instagram and Facebook page it's just Monos Returns you can look us up you know we're on IMDb um, and we're also we also have our own website manosreturns.com um And then the same for me, everything's Tanya Atomic, but it's T-O-N-J-I-A Atomic. And I've got, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, and website as well. So, um, you know, I, I, we update whenever new stuff's going on. Um, Monster Turns is on a bunch of streaming sites right now. It's on stuff I don't know even (laughs) where it's on, but I do know it's on Amazon Prime and it's, it's been picked up for Amazon Prime worldwide. So it I don't know when it's gonna hit the different markets, but I know it's UK and and USA now. So, um, and hopefully it'll hit all the other worldwide markets soon. Um, I know it's supposed to be on some Roku channels and stuff. Um, So other places I'm, unfortunately, I don't know. Um, But, you know, everything we do know, we put on our Facebook first. So our Facebook page is probably the number one for if you're looking for updates. And also for, you know, when the DVD Blu-ray is going to come up. Unfortunately, we had to push that because of everything that's unfortunately happening in the world right now. So DVD Blu-ray, I don't know when that's going to happen because we had to push that back.
3: Okay.
1: Well, I'm going to make sure all of that information gets into the show notes. So if anybody listening to it missed it, uh, it's on AaronBosick.com. If nothing else, and you can find anything you're looking to for from there. Um, thank you again so much. I'm really hoping that we can do this again sometime soon.
2: Great. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. Take good care.
0: I would like to thank Tanya for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community-building part of the show today, I'm going to get back to basics. Whatever you plan to listen to this show, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or YouTube, Whatever your choice is, please hit the subscribe button. And if you've already done that, leave a review for the show on any one of those platforms. And if you've already done that, go ahead and email me your thoughts personally. I would really appreciate hearing from you. The address is bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. And don't forget, you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.